You're listening to Redefining Energy. Your co-hosts from Berlin, Gerard Reed, and from London, Laurence Segalem. Today on Redefining Energy, we're going to talk about biomass. It's our pleasure to have Jens Wolf, the general manager of Enviva Biomass in Europe, on the show. Jens has years and years of experience in this area, uh, having been formerly with Drax, and then before that, Dong Energy. And even before that, McKinsey. Jens knows the whole energy complex and economics around biomass. And he has been really a driving force for the development of biomass in, in Denmark and then in the UK. Let's listen to the interview. It's my pleasure today to have Jens Wolf on the show. I call him Mr. Biomass. Jens, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you very much, guys. A pleasure to be here. Jens, let me jump straight in. I need some advice. Uh, so I've got this old church that I bought, very difficult to heat. I've been using biomass and a little bit of electricity, infrared, infrared heating. And what I've decided to do is actually go all biomass. Fantastic. But I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that I you know, might be doing the best thing for the environment. What do you think? I think you're doing a, a great thing for the environment. I might sort of put the, the slight detail on it, that it depends on where you are. If you're in a city where there's a district heating network, it should not be an individual thing to do heat. It should be district heating. The role of biomass in residential heating is mainly in agricultural areas. It's where the only opportunity is. Where you can use heat pumps, I would choose that. In new built houses, etc. I see more of the residential play for biomass to be in agricultural settings, in places that are difficult to, to get to district heating. Okay, so you've made my day because I live in a rural area and actually there's just loads of wood around the area. So I'm, I'm actually, a lot of trees, actually the beaver does a lot of damage in the area and actually there's a lot of fallen wood. <laughs> yeah, believe it or not. And so I'm getting my hand on this great wood and I just thought, man, it's, it's also low cost. And actually the whole point I really do want to do is make sure the whole house is renewable. So I'll make, there is solar in it already. I have a battery. And I think the idea of a heat pump also makes sense. So. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no, no, very good. Good to see that you, you're not just uh, preaching it, you're also doing it. That's me in my home. How, how about at the large, larger level? You know, if I look at the scientific research over the years, using biomass and using it in a sustainable way makes sense for the environment, right? But there's a whole pile of research and reports and a lot of NGOs who have a completely different view. This is not really helpful, I would have thought, but I'm just interested in how, how do you deal with this? You've been in biomass for years. Biomass has a huge role to play in the decarbonization, not just at a residential level where it has some niche applications, but in general in the heat and, and power networks uh, throughout Europe. To the people that generally are critics, I mean, you can obviously find critics all over the place, but the sort of the things that normally people have a problem with when it comes to biomass is that saying, oh, you're chopping down trees. It's not a question that you can answer because uh, trees are not chopped down for biomass. We have forests. Forests are used for producing timber, board, a number of other products of which either out of the forest or as a residual from the processing, you have a surplus fraction of biomass, which should be used to replace coal. Okay, so what you're talking about is waste biomass, right? So, so back to my beaver thing where the beaver's cut down yeah. wood and it's just lying there. That's waste biomass, That's, as opposed to going in and cutting down forests just to burn them. Yeah, that we would never support the whole context of using biomass to replace fossil fuels 
is because we have forests which are growing, which are continuing to absorb CO2 from the atmosphere. The critics are often people that don't think that forests should be touched and should not be used. I just think that it's extremely important that we have forests that produce timber for construction and board for furniture and all kinds of other places where we can replace cement, we can replace steel uh, in replacing plastics and other things in, in products. Formerly you work with Drax. Yeah. And controversial as it comes because it's the biggest biomass plant in the world. It's certainly the biggest power station in Europe. It is. I think they have four units of 660 megawatts that's converted to biomass. So it's quite a big scale using 7 million tons a year. But it's a huge success story. It's the biggest decarbonization story in Europe, producing close to 15 terawatt hours a year of electricity from what is the byproducts of an industry which is also aimed at reducing climate impact. Right. So just from a, from a sustainability point of view, the logic of you know, cutting down trees in the United States shipping them all the way across to Europe and then burning them. It sort of just doesn't fit well with me, right? So, I mean, you've, you were involved in it for so many years. Just, you know, how did you come to this decision to, to do this? You know, you did persuade a huge tract of society and governments to actually that you, what you're doing is good. Yeah, happy to do that. And it actually get, brings me back to sort of how I got into biomass in the first place. You know, I started out as an analyst looking at energy systems and back in 2000, I was looking at the offshore potential in the EU and trying to imagine, you know, if you go 10 kilometers offshore as an energy modeler. Then I, as a management consultant, was doing work for Drax, helping them to think, what next? 2007, 8 type. And literally, you wouldn't believe it, but one of the thoughts was to go upstream and buy coal mines. We're not further away from there where we had the discussion, okay, what do you do as a company? And also entering this offshore wind, the thing that, that I should enter into. What came out of that work? Not that I would credit the management consultancy for, for, for necessarily doing all that. It's, of course, the management of drag, hugely instrumental to that, and also the board, was to say, well, we have a huge asset here. We can leverage it, and by using biomass, reach a completely different scale. And I think that's what they really got out of that root and branch review of strategy, that biomass could actually become a, a large-scale solution Jens, uh, let's talk a bit into the details of the investment because you had to convert coal boilers into biomass boilers. Plus, I would say create the logistics system mm -hmm. around bringing the biomass. So how did it work? What was the numbers at stake? First, the Drax idea was to build dedicated because that was what the regulation said. Then as the discussions with regulators and technical options emerged, well, hey, why don't we just use the existing asset? As it hadn't been done at really large scale before, there was just some questions about how big can you make it? Can you put the capacity? Can you keep the efficiency? To cut a long story short, they managed to do it for about in total 300 million pounds, the total conversion, including the investments in ports and the plant itself and some pellet plant facilities as well. That's 100k per megawatt. Yeah, so it was two and a half gigawatts in total, yeah, so something of that magnitude. Okay, interesting. But interesting. if you look to other plants, in some respects, Drax is perhaps because of the size, because of the speed it had to be done with, the fact that it's inland means that there's a number of additional costs. If you look to places like Denmark, where it's eight units that's been converted now, the cost has not been as, as significant. Technically, wood pellets can actually go through a most boiler. It's sawdust that's pressed together, and when it enters into a coiler, 
turns back into dust again and it pulverized fuel hot coal plants are pretty much the same way. The things that you have to change is that you have to have covered conveyors because wood pellets cannot be wet and you have to have covered storage. That's sort of the main thing. Then there's a little about fire, dust and explosion prevention, but I would say there are rounding errors on covering the fuel conveyance system. When was the first unit formally operational? If we're talking about tracks, was in 2012. The last unit four was converted fully in 2017. You know, some critics will say that from a tariff point of view, the electricity which was purchased was above market prices. Oh, yeah. It's definitely more expensive than, say, solar or wind. I think today, and as we go forward, it's important to know that biomass should be used when there is no wind and solar. That's how we achieve the maximum decarbonization. When I was at Drax, what you notice, the, the amount of subsidy wasn't increased. And that allowed Drax to more optimize when it's dispatched. And that alone had the value. And that's, of course, because it brings value to the system that you can dispatch low carbon energy when there is no sun or when there is no wind. Excellent. You tell me there's been a bit of development in Denmark, but if I look at the big coal market in Europe, which are Poland and Germany, we haven't seen that type of investment. Why do you think it is? I think that there has been bigger problems and less ambition. In Germany, after Fukushima, all of a sudden, all the focus was around getting the nuclear off. With all that baseload power leaving the system, you needed to have the coal. You couldn't also fight that battle. Now, as time progresses and ambitions increase, I'm pretty certain that Germany will turn to biomass again. I mean, personally, when I was with Ørsted back in 2012-13, after we'd started the conversion of some of the Danish coal-fired power plants, I actually went to Germany because we wanted to, well, big expertise that's been developed. We learned all the annoying things about biomass and thought we could, having gained that experience, go to Germany and persuade the powers that be that here's a great, fast way to get massive carbon savings and recycling the asset base that there is in Germany. But at that point, it wasn't interesting enough. And after, I think, six months of probing with the various utilities and ministries, etc., thought, wow, now is not the time. It will have to be later. Uh, and I, I think that time is now. Uh, yeah, so let's jump onto that theme. The thing for me, which is the sort of paradox of the energy vendor in Germany, is the fact that you go through, you know, whether it's Dusseldorf, Duisburg, Berlin, Hamburg, they have these big CHP plants in the center of the city. And they're coal, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I, I find this like just crazy, right? And mm -hmm. I look at them and you say, well, Take the case of Hamburg. They've got this big, huge Moorberg power station that's sitting up there. The white elephant doesn't really run. Mm. Uh, I think it's, what is it, one and a half gigawatts or something like that. I mean, why would somebody not go in and just convert that to biomass? It's in the port. Mm. Um, they need to have hot water into the district heating system. So it seems yeah. to be a sort of a no-brainer to do a Drax in Hamburg. There's a great case for it. Uh, but of course, there's a reason for why it's not happening. The fact is that biomass is more expensive than coal. Like in so many other cases where you have something that's more expensive on a private economic level, but creates a big damage on a public scale level, you, you need to have some incentives or frameworks that makes it possible for people to convert economically. And I think to Laurent's uh, question, well, I think that time where that 
light bulb is coming is now in Germany. If we want the German fleet to get off coal and we want to make it happen in this century, biomass has to be part of the solution. And place where the challenge is the biggest is on the CHP. Exactly. That is very, very difficult to think of a technology that can address the same problems that you have in replacing CHP uh, the way that a coal to biomass conversion can do. I could imagine sort of going, I mean, I'm hearing talk about, oh yeah, we'll replace it with gas or something like that. But you're, you're not really helping the situation, you know, slightly helping it, but not slightly, not, not slightly, slightly, helping, slightly it. helping it. Slightly helping it, but there you go. All the supply chain emissions of gas are not that well understood. If you transport an LNG, 5,000 miles of uh, pipelines in Russia, it comes out that that in itself is an issue. And then on top of it, you'll invest in something that if you were ever going to have a chance to get to net zero is a stranded asset in 10 years time. So using biomass in the already existing assets to get rid of coal is going to be a, a solution in Germany. Denmark has all but two coal plants been converted to biomass. But in Denmark, there's hardly any forest. And the same as in the UK, there's very little production forest. In Germany, there is actually a fair amount of production forest. And to make matters worse, there's a, a lot of problems in those forests today. There is, by the last count, I saw 160 million cubic meters of dead wood. And I think the combination of being able to use some of that surplus biomass, which has no other home, together with some sort of backup or addition from an international market will be attractive to politicians. So I, I hear your theory, mm-hmm. but I, I look at what I'm seeing on the ground is I'm not seeing this. I, and I'm, what I, if I speak to the utilities, what they're saying is we're going to do nothing. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the reason they're saying that is they say, well, listen, it costs us money. Actually, we're probably going to lose money from it. And as long as we're not under real severe pressure, we'll just sit there. And basically, they're waiting for subsidies. So my question to you is, are we going to see subsidies coming in for biomass to help these CHPs be converted? Or, or, or how do you see that? I mean, this is, it's in your interest. We will see subsidies. I think it's important that those subsidies are competitive so that the consumers get the value for money. But as a society, it's, in my view, the cheapest way in which you can address the climate change issues and targets in combination with solar and wind. And, and Jens, just maybe just switching teams a little bit there. If, if you look at, say, sort of some of the renewable technologies like solar in particular, yeah. I mean, you see this incredible cost reductions in the last years, and it's going to continue. I sort of say, well, why are we not just continue building out, building out solar? Why do we need all this biomass? First, you should continue to build out the solar. I think there's still a market there, and the same with wind. But let me take an example. If you had a solar plant, and let's say in the UK, I don't know, what, what can you do it for? 40 euros a megawatt hour, 50 euros a megawatt hour mm-hmm. today? If you wanted to smooth out that production over the year, you'd need around 300 megawatt hours of battery for every megawatt of solar capacity to make it into base load. And then the solar plus battery, instead of being 50 euros, it would be 2,000 euros a megawatt hour. And that's just using an assumption of, say, 100 euros per kilowatt hour of battery. If you wanted to just rely on solar costs to continue to go down, you wouldn't have to rely them to go down by a factor of 50% or 70%. You would have to have them go down by a factor of 50 times. And and it will take a while before we get there. So in between, you should use a, a, a source like biomass to fill in the gaps and make sure that we have power 24 seven, that is low carbon. And you should also make it useful 
CHP applications where not even solar and wind can really be a, an alternative. Okay, and I suppose this, I'd like to go back to the beginning, actually, if I may, to wrap this up, is talk about the sustainability. Because the one thing that I understand is if I burn biomass, mm-hmm. actually the carbon emissions from me burning them is higher than burning the same amount of coal. It's more or less it's, the same, but yeah, the same. a little higher. Yeah. So just, just run through then why biomass then over its life cycle actually better in terms of carbon emissions than coal. Because if you have biomass coming from growing forest, if you take biomass out of the forest and enables it to grow at the same rate or faster, as is the case, and requirements for sustainable biomass, you get an instant loop that is closed. You have a forest that is growing, is providing timber and primary products, which are carbon reducing, and at the same time have a surplus that you can use to replace coal. Yeah, and so just one more question. Mm which is Helsinki. So yeah. if I look at Helsinki, Helsinki, center of the city, they have a coal plant that provides all the heat to the city. Mm-hmm. And they have a competition ongoing now. And the competition is, can we come up with a new solution or alternative to that coal plant? So if you're going to go and apply for that competition, what would you tell them to do? I would tell them to make a combination where you take low-grade waste heat, where it exists, where you can upgrade that low-grade waste heat put it into the grid wherever it exists. And then I would use biomass as a one-for-one replacement into the existing coal-fired power and use that as the variable, reliable top-up to other heat sources. I like that, Jens. Really great. Excellent. Well, it's brilliant having Mr. Biomass on the show. (laughs) You're welcome. I'm happy to come back, and especially on Laurent's question of how big is this going to be in the future, Looking forward to it. Thank you very much, Jens. Great, Jens. You're welcome. Yeah, I really like the interview. Extremely precise, borderline geeky as we like it. But I have a lot of questions for you because, you know, I I like markets. So I've been digging into the economics of biomass. It's very difficult to get any real data on the price of uh, wood pellets. Uh, These are not traded market. And at the end, I dug into Drax annual report and I see that they got their wood pellets in Baton Rouge. So you, you need to add the freight to, to go to the UK at $160 per ton. But it's, if I compare to coal, it's horrendous. Yeah, in, in terms of pricing, I, I, I absolutely understand that. Yeah. So, so what you're sort of saying, Laurent, is that the economics of it sort of for power generation don't make sense. Yeah, they don't. And if you go back to the basics, coal, you've got 25 gigajoules per ton of coal. And pellets, you're going to have 20 gigajoules per ton. So first, you need to add 25% more quantity to get the same amount of energy. And if you look at the prices, I mean, coal, it's easy. You just check the, the price in Rotterdam, 45 US dollar per ton. So that's less than $2 per gigajoule. And if you look at the wood pellet, and I've seen a lot of studies, but it's they are very confusing. But at the end of the day, the best price I could get was $6 per gigajoule. So it means by units of energy, wood pellets are just three times more expensive than coal. Of course, you can add carbon on the top of that, but still, you have a fuel cost, which is twice to three times higher with wood pellets than coal. 
Yeah, listen, which is which is ultimately why we don't have a huge amount of biomass across across Europe or across the world, actually, because uh, exactly of what you're talking about. It comes back to economics. I mean, so if I look at the Drax plant, I would describe that really as a one off, right? A huge amount of government subsidies. And the challenge for Drax is can they get the cost of their biomass down to be able to actually stay competitive beyond the subsidies I have in place. And it's challenging. Yeah, absolutely. And I doubt that the Germans are going to adopt biomass on a massive scale. I think they just want to pocket the money to close their plant rather than bother investing in biomass. You don't even have a futures market. You, you have no idea what's going to be the price of biomass in three, four, five, ten years. It's very hard to factor in. Yes, I, I would describe for me that biomass is a niche market product. And I'll describe where I think it's niche market. If you take the case of Germany, as you mentioned, it, what, what Germany has, whether it's Berlin, Hamburg, Duisburg, all these cities have coal plants in the center of the city. Now, why are they there? They're not there to provide electricity. They're there to provide heat. And the question is, what comes, if you take that coal out, how do you provide those heat for those district heating solutions? And that's a tough one because you sort of say, well, what do you need to do? And I, I, I look at it and say, well, it's going to be gas, natural gas, but do you really want to do that? Or is it going to be biomass? I see it being biomass together with other solutions. So, for example, maybe you put a data center in beside it where the data center, you're using the waste heat. But I, I don't think you can get away from biomass as a solution in that area. Yeah, I absolutely agree because the time to market is extremely fast. You just switch the fuel. Okay, maybe you change the filters or the scrubbers, but it can be done pretty fast. If you want to install a, a new gas turbine there, it's not the turbine. You need to put the pipelines, a lot of houseworks. It's going to take years. Definitely switching to biomass for those uh, CHP looks like a reasonable idea at least in an horizon of 10 to 15 years until we find new technologies. It's a fast way to decarbonize. Yeah, okay, I like the way you put that. It's a fast way to decarbonize. The one thing that we didn't really talk about is who Enviva Biomass is, right? And just you know, put it into perspective, they are the largest producer, I think, globally of wood pellets. And I think they're the largest supplier into Drax, as we now speak. You sort of look at them and you say, well, they have a very interesting opportunity over the next few years because the logistics of biomass are really complex. I mean, it's, it's not simple. You have problems of moisture, you have problems of wood quality. I looked at it a few years ago and there was always some you know, cheap product coming out of Russia, but the quality was horrendous. So at the end, the fact that you can provide consistent grades that's absolutely crucial for those plants. The biomass issue at the end of the day, it's not really technological, it's really a supply chain problem. The fact that uh, Jens uh, has a grip on supply chain uh, puts him in a very comfortable place. Agree on that, agree on that. Okay, Gerard, it was a very interesting discussion and I agree, it's a niche, but for CHP heating, it can be a very important niche and a bit of a technological no-brainer. And for my home, because I still use biomass, and it is all waste biomass. It's beaver biomass that beavers have cut down in the area, but I still use that in my house. I use a mixture between electricity and biomass. Excellent. Well, talk to you in two weeks' time, Gerard. Look forward to it. Take care. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Redefining Energy. Don't forget to rate the show and to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher or the portal of your choice.